I will be continuing our series on James today, and I very much appreciated the way that James started the series last week, and I'm already confused talking about James and James, and it was even more confusing when James mentioned that James might actually mean Jacob, not James. So I still don't know when we're having Jake preach in this series. You're still saying no. Okay. And I also very much appreciated that he started with the Bible Project video because it gave us this big picture on the book of James. And one of the things that really struck me in that video is the way that it highlighted that James, the biblical author, is weaving together themes from the teachings of Jesus and from Proverbs and from all across Hebrew scripture. And he's writing this letter of basically practical advice to all believers. So not just this pointed teaching to a particular situation, but things of general applicability, which I think is also part of why so many of us, if we you know, were pushed to say, like, what's your favorite of the letters? I don't think people very much go for like, you know what? I just really love all the stuff in Jude. You're like, what's going on there? Um, but a lot of times we just really resonate with James because it's something that really was written to like to everybody, to all of us, to a broad body of believers. And James knows the character of God so well. He knows the character of the God of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knows the character of Christ. And he writes this letter to the churches and, again, weaves these themes together so beautifully. So today I'll be focusing on James 2. And to give you all a picture of the day, I'll be talking about the first half of James 2. And then for the second half of James 2, y'all will be talking in small groups with your neighbors about it. So instead of us having a community sharing time, we'll be having small group discussions with those around you. So hopefully that gives us a bit of a picture. So to start on James 2, I'll read out James 2, 1 through 13. And it might even be on the screen behind me. Nice. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law as found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So there's, again, there's a lot going on there. I think we could probably do a month just on each pair of verses in there. There's just so much that... I wish we could spend time on unpacking, but I'm just going to focus on the big picture here. This passage focusing on the ways that human divisions and human favoritism just keeps creeping into the body of Christ. 
and the ways that we just start looking like the world instead of like Christ. And I was scrolling through various other translations and trying to figure out, you know, what are other ways that they could interpret the same words. And the the one from the NRSV really jumped out to me because it framed verse one as a question. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our Lord Jesus Christ? Like, that's a bit more pointed, isn't it? If we're showing favoritism among people, do we really believe in our Lord Jesus Christ? Have we just completely missed who God is? And so James here, he's not holding back at all. He is very pointed in saying, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? And if I didn't know better, I would think he was trying to incite some kind of class war or peasant uprising. But there's something far more radical going on here. He's pointing out how the character of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob consistently has shown compassion for the weak, for the abused, for those thought of as nothing by the world's standards. And so I I feel like we could just go through like every book in the Hebrew scriptures from the call of Abram. He was a nobody from a nobody group of people. He was not one of the powerful groups. Even as great empires were rising around him, God sees Abram and says, there's something, there's something in his character. And then when the powerful in Egypt used their power to enslave and oppress the Israelites, God stayed. He had a promise to the Israelites. And he, in his mercy, he brought the Israelites out of that enslavement. He showed that he keeps his promises. He showed that he cares about his people's suffering. And the Israelites, just like us, had this incredibly short memory. And as they grew in power, they started acting just like the oppressors themselves. And that's something you see through so much of the Hebrew scriptures is these calls for God's people to come back to who God is, following God's truth, God's values. And I was reading David's cry in Psalm 12. You know, there's so many of these lament psalms that are pointing out the, the things that the wicked are doing. And Psalm 12 jumped out to me. Help, Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. Everyone lies to his neighbor. Their flattering lips speak with deception. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and every boastful tongue that says, we will triumph with our tongues. We own our lips. Who is our master? Because of the oppression of the weak and the groaning of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. The words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. O Lord, you will keep us safe and protect us from such people forever. The wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honored among men. How often have we cried that same lament? And how sweet it is to know that the Lord is on the side of the weak and the abused. But how often do we look at the world's values and say, what is vile is being honored by the human race. But again, that is consistently God flipping that on its head. So in a culture that honored the firstborn for inheritances, God kept subverting the birth order and often called the second son. And in a culture that didn't view women as valuable, Jesus let them sit at his feet and learn among the men. And in a culture that didn't view children as worth the time of the important teachers, Jesus said, let the little children come because the kingdom of heaven belongs to people like them. How many more examples could we go through? And again, we could just 
go through the entirety of Scripture and see this consistent thing about God's character that those who have been blessed by the world standards, Jesus looks at and says, you don't have the important part. But again, this keeps creeping back into our bodies. Like even James is writing this letter about how they're just letting the world standards creep back in. And Paul writes about it quite a bit as well. So when he wrote the letter to the Corinthians, he again, he highlighted this core aspect. I, you'd think by now we'd get the point, but again, the, the point seems to be we miss it. We keep missing it. So in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes, Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce the nothing things that are, so that no one may boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. For who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So again, we're sensing a pretty important theme here. And this thought that what the world considers wise and important, God says, nah. And here, Paul is also referencing Hebrew scriptures. He's referencing Jeremiah 9. And how many of us just love reading Jeremiah and the other prophets? You know, that's on on par, correct. One and a half hands are raised. Because there's just so much weird stuff. And especially when you start reading through them, there's so much of this like vengeance of God and judgment of God. And a lot of times we get scared by that without thinking of what it's like to be in the seat of those who are abused and oppressed and to see that God is a God of justice. God will bring justice in the end. So in Jeremiah, the first few chapters are the Lord giving words to the prophet Jeremiah, telling him like, hey, Israelites, this is how you've been acting. And it's this long list of the ways that Israel has abandoned God and pursued their own desires. And again, there's this language of the coming judgment And in Jeremiah 9, the Lord says, Let not the wise man boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. And we have to ask ourselves, do we share God's values? Do we exercise kindness, justice, and righteousness? Do we delight in kindness, justice, and righteousness? So knowing, again, this is a consistent part of God's character, and we keep seeing it creep back into God's people. And so this is where we have to turn the magnifying glass on ourselves and ask, how do we see ourselves acting like this? And so I spent a lot of time kind of like thinking about this one, praying about it and asking, you know, what do I see in our communities? What do I see? It's easy to be like, oh, look at people out there acting like that. But then asking, how do we live it out ourselves? Or how do I live it out? And so I'm going to look at a few of these. Maybe this resonates with some of us. So the the face value meaning, economic divisions inside and outside of the church. Um, I think a lot of times in in us, in our community, we can accidentally or intentionally, hopefully accidentally, but we can cause divisions when we honor people too highly based on level of education. 
Like we honor our college graduates. And this is, again, I, maybe I'm speaking for myself here because I work in higher ed. And so I'm like, I love college graduates. College success is like what I'm dedicated to in my professional career. And then I wonder, do I let that like slip into the church body and I start to honor people more highly because of if they got a degree or not or how many degrees they got? And so I constantly ask the Spirit to renew my heart here and say, am I valuing people based on the world standards or based on God's standards? And I invite you all to, again, be in communication. If you see this, speak to us about how might we be you know, recreating the world standards. Another one, and this is like zooming out and pardon me for putting on my sociology teacher hat on some of this one, Another challenge here is so often, like, our suburbs become these economic bubbles. This thought of, would a poor man walk through these doors? Well, Wiley is one of the more affluent suburbs in this area. It's like one of those things where it's easy to sit back and say, you know, if somebody came in dressed in shabby clothes, we would act great. But we're also far enough away that we don't really have to think, like, will that actually happen in our lives? And so that's just a... a, that's a challenge. What do we do with that? And I started thinking, how does that play out even in my life? And I thought, you know, Jordy made a joke earlier about like how much I love trains. I'm like, how did you know I was going to talk about trains? You know, just, it just oozes from me as well. (laughs) I was thinking like, so I have to go to a Fort Worth about every other week for work stuff. And if I drive, I get to be in a bubble. I am in my car and I get to listen to a podcast and I get to feel good about myself. And when I take the train, most of the time, it is an uneventful journey. And sometimes you have eventful journeys on public transportation. And that is the knowing laugh of people who have been at DART stations and are faced with the reality of what do you do when there's just overwhelming poverty and overwhelming mental health challenges and just these things that are so much bigger than what any one person can do. And I can only describe it sometimes as encountering people who've been severely scarred by the sins of this world, to put it mildly. And how often have I just discriminated and become a judge with evil thoughts as I'm sitting there and I ask, like, do I view that as a person, that person as somebody made in God's image? Do I view this as a person worthy of my time and prayer and attention? Or do I just think, you know, next time it might be easier to drive? And I asked myself, what would it look like to see people as Jesus does and to pray fervently for our broken world and to show compassion? So that really is a challenge for us. Again, we so often can be in our little isolated bubbles. I think so much more with the movement where like most people get to work from home now and this thought of, I just don't have to encounter people. I don't have to encounter people made in God's image who need Jesus. And so that's my challenge to all of us is in what ways do we insulate ourselves from the possibility of encountering other people who need Jesus desperately or who, who already have Jesus but just live in ways that don't match our little suburban expectations. And that one, yeah, I could go way down rabbit trails, but I want to make sure to spend enough time for y'all in your breakout groups. Um, and then the other part of this is this broader application of, imagine we're just in our, we're in our little bubble. We're in our community. We're with people who love Jesus. And yet we still show favoritism. 
And again, I might be speaking of myself. Like, there are people that I get super excited, like, I can't wait to see you and hug you. And there's other people, it's like, have I reached out and made one-on-one time with this person in any time in recent memory? So in the early church, there was this Jew and Gentile divide. And that's the focus of a lot of Paul's writings. And across the, the Christian church, and especially in the United States, we just have this like normal expectation of racial division in churches, the same corrupt pattern as our broken world, and it just keeps getting recreated in our Sunday morning services. And again, we can connect that back to our neighborhood challenges. But there's just so much to lament there and so much to ask, what does it look like to have a body that truly represents God's body? And then within our bodies, how do we show love to everybody around us? And it might be, again, a lot of these are questions for your personal reflection of, are there people that you're more drawn to? Are you only willing to show love to those who can reciprocate love in the same way that you want? Do I only want to show love to those that I find intellectually stimulating? Or do I only want to show love to those who are cute enough or popular enough or single enough? Do I only want to build relationship with those who I get something from? A lot of times we still come into our bodies with that consumerist attitude of who, who can give me something as opposed to who can I bless? And again, there's so much that I mean this to be a personal reflection because I could not list out, I could not stand here listing out everything wrong with me. Like, that's just a start. Um, But a lot of these things, you really do need to be seeking the Spirit and asking God, like, in what ways are you fostering division in community because there's people that you prefer? So there's a lot going on there, and I'm just going to leave it at that part. (laughs) But I really do wonder, I wonder what the 21st century divisions would be. I wonder if James were writing to American churches in general, or our church in particular, which things would be we are just doing the same divisions that the world does. So we have to spend a lot of time on that in prayer and asking the Spirit to work truly in our hearts on that. For the second part of James, I wanted y'all to do most of the work. So have fun with that. In this next section, James is talking about faith and deeds. And again, there's just so much that we could unpack there. Um, So in a minute, don't move yet. But in a moment, y'all will get into groups of, I think, two to four. And in your groups, I would like you to read the scripture in your groups, um, the second half of James 2, so verse 14 through 26. And in that section, James brings up examples of others in the Hebrew scriptures who obeyed God and it was credited as righteousness. So he brings up the examples of Abraham and Rahab. And so what I would like y'all to do in your groups is to discuss how other people's obedience and faithfulness has impacted you. So I don't mean it as like a personal boasting of like, this is how I obeyed God, good for me. (laughs) Like, not that. Um, We want to boast on other people. We want to honor the ways that other people have blessed us and impacted us. So we, uh, I believe we have a discussion question. There we go. So is everybody, is that clear enough? Awesome. So this is the point where y'all get into groups of two to four, you know, small enough that you can hear each other, big enough that you have diversity of perspectives. Sound good? Awesome.